1: We took an oath to take care of people and to have to ration resources is a very painful decision to make.
2: New Rochelle is a suburb about 25 miles outside of New York City in Westchester County. It's become the epicenter of one of the country's largest outbreaks. In less than 10 days, there have been over 100 cases of coronavirus in the area. Here's what we know about this cluster. On March 2nd, a 50-year-old Manhattan attorney tested positive for coronavirus. It's not clear where he contracted it. He's the first case of community spread in New York State. By March 7th, 23 cases were linked to this man, including members of his synagogue. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is not taking any chances. This week, he set up a one-mile containment area around the suburb and deployed the National Guard to assist with food deliveries and cleaning public spaces. I got exclusive access to the New Rochelle Hospital emergency room to meet the doctors and nurses at the front lines of this pandemic and hear from them directly about what they are seeing in one of the country's hotspots. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction.
1: So this is one of our ventilators. You can see that that it's on. It's it's attached to our oxygen source and, and to electrical supply.
2: These are typically used in the intensive care unit. Your intensive care unit is full right now, perhaps not surprisingly. That's right. Dr. Teresa Madeline is a healthcare care epidemiologist for the Montefiore Health System. She's in charge of the medical center's response to the growing pandemic. I spoke to her in the hospital and asked if she was surprised it had now become the epicenter of New York State's coronavirus outbreak.
1: It isn't a surprise, but it certainly is a concern New York and the surrounding areas certainly are a place where we anticipated there might be significant activity, but I think now we're just trying to keep up.
2: Are you able to keep up?
1: Right now we are, but certainly things change quickly and we're preparing for if resources get tight or it gets to be a surge capacity situation.
2: How do you predict something like this? I mean, we see what's happening around the world. We saw what happened in China. We hear about hospitals uh, being filled to to the brink, really, in Italy and tough decisions being made about patients and patient care over there. Do you anticipate that happening here?
1: We certainly hope that we won't need to make tough decisions like that, but we have to be prepared to do so. And we've had many conversations about this and detailed plans of what that would look like and how we would do things.
2: Can you give me some examples? One of the things that we're hearing is, for example, in the country, that uh, 65,000 people may need to be on breathing machines in the response to a moderate pandemic. That's about the number of ventilators and breathing machines we have in the country, many of which are being used. So how, how do you overcome that sort of shortfall?
1: So I think we try to prioritize the ventilators for those who have the best chance of recovery if we develop a situation where we don't have enough ventilators for all of the people who need them. And there are very particular, specific guidelines developed by critical care experts and bioethics experts across the country that help to guide us in, in knowing how to implement such a thing.
2: Just you know, I think it's a tough decision for any medical person, I imagine, because at some point... Uh, it comes down to somebody needs one, may not be able to get it because someone else is deemed to be more likely to survive or younger or healthier or whatever. It just got to be, I, you know, I, I just, that's the hardest part, I think, in all this.
1: It's heart-wrenching. We're caregivers. We took an oath to take care of people and to have to ration resources is a very painful decision to make. But when we're given no choice, we we try to collectively together make the best decisions that we can.
2: I spent some time with Dr. Madeline around a ventilator. Okay. So, this has become a pretty precious uh, commodity. If patients came in today, patients diagnosed with the coronavirus and needed intensive care, what would happen? Would, would they be diverted to another hospital today because you are full?
1: Likely we would divert to one of our other hospitals unless there was a patient in our ICU here who who was ready to be sent to to a regular floor because they're improving.
2: So we're already sort of at that point of possible diversion. That's right. I'm always struck as a medical reporter, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about numbers and the number of people infected. Um, It's different here because you've actually seen these patients... And you get to know, like, what this virus really does to people. Can you give me some insight into just how sick do people become? What happens to them?
1: So for 80% of people, they develop flu-like symptoms and they eventually recover. But for the 20% who require hospitalization, what it typically looks like is around day seven to nine they begin developing things like shortness of breath. They start to have um, changes on their x-rays. It looks like a pneumonia. And then eventually they have trouble with their oxygen levels. So their their lungs become inflamed and they're not able to properly oxygenate their blood. And they require support either through oxygen, uh, through like a nasal cannula, or in the very severe cases, they need to be on a mechanical ventilator.
2: And what about the personal protective equipment? If healthcare providers become exposed, even if they don't get sick, they're going to not be able to work for some time. They're going to need to self-quarantine for a couple of weeks. That's a significant toll. Do you have enough personal protective equipment?
1: So right now we have enough personal protective equipment and we've taken great measures to try to acquire what we feel that we need. However, no one really knows what's coming next and whether or not we'll need to tap into other resources like the national stockpile. But for today, we have what we need.
2: The doctors wanted to show me their new testing kits. So this is the,
0: the kit. This is our kit for one of the two swabs I would be checking.
2: When they started the demonstration, we all agreed that to even pull out one mask or one swab would be too much. They obviously need them for the patients, not for a demonstration.
1: So our pathology department has been working tirelessly to bring uh, a test here online. We did finally get uh, the okay this morning that we have a test today. It's very limited still, but in the next hopefully week, we'll have enough reagents come in and enough people trained and more instruments so that we can perform more tests.
2: Are you living your life differently nowadays?
1: I am living my life differently. I have a family. I have young children. And we've definitely changed what we do together. We're not taking our children to, to large group classes anymore. Um, we're not going out to eat all as a family to large restaurants anymore. We've definitely made a lot of changes. And we've, we've had to talk together about um, what are we going to do to adjust to that and, and what might happen going forward.
2: You know, I think it's always been this balance between, you know, not wanting to alarm people, but also wanting to be really honest about what's happening here. How alarmed are you?
1: I am concerned. When we use the word pandemic, I think that tells us all that this is very serious. Now, we all, of course, have to continue on, and particularly those of us in the medical community have to stay focused. We need to take care of patients and and help people get well. But I do think that this is going to have a major impact on our society, and I do urge people to take it seriously and to listen to the advice of public health officials and to just think very carefully about the choices that they make.
2: For many of you who are worried that the containment scenario happening right now in New Rochelle could happen where you are, my advice is to recognize that the virus is here and it is spreading. We may see new quarantines, school closings, working from home, but we also know that there are hardworking individuals on the front line like Dr. Madeline who are helping keep us safe. Never before has our collective health been so dependent on each individual. We all have to do our part. Remember, you can always go to CNN.com for the most up-to-date information on the coronavirus. We'll be back Monday. Thanks for listening.